Hello and welcome. The name of this podcast series is Taboo Truths and Tales. So why these particular T words are all in the title, you may may want to know. Fair question. It's because this podcast deals with subject matter considered to be taboo. This podcast deals with a person's perception of truths. And this podcast deals with storytelling tales of fiction told by an individual. You need to choose for yourself what you perceive as truths versus tales because very often in real life that distinction is not crystal clear. This podcast is marked explicit. What that means, you should not listen to this podcast if you happen to be under the age of 18 or if someone under age 18 is listening there with you. Explicit means nobody under age 18 should be listening to this podcast series. So here we go. Taboo Truths and Tales is hosted by Madeira D'Souza. That's me. Some of you may know me by my nickname as Woody. Whatever you want to call me, I welcome you here to this podcast, which is definitely intended for people who are 18 or older. Thank you. Now let's get started. Welcome. My guest is Jeremy Nori. Jeremy, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you. So you are the main principal or the main person behind Sky Island Storytelling, uh, which is a really cool name, I think. Um, can you tell us a little about how that name expresses what you do with Sky Island Storytelling? Absolutely, yeah. So I am a director-producer, and we make low-budget, independent documentary films. And so Sky Island Storytelling is where I do all of that, basically. And uh, I have other projects that I'm working on, too, and I, I plan to promote those uh, under the same name. The idea is that any sort of form of storytelling that I do uh, will kind of go under that name. And the name has, has kind of two meanings to me. So, uh, well, A, I grew up with uh, fantasy and anime and in a lot of, like, uh, folklore and mythology. There are these concepts of um, either, like, heaven is this kind of island or place in the sky that uh, people go to, and or... Uh, in science fiction, usually, and anime, there's like an island or like some sort of a, a place in the sky where all the rich people leave all, all us poor people behind. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, that's the first meaning. But then the second meaning is I live in the mountains. And where I live, geographically, the term for it is a sky island because we have totally different... Uh, forestry and plants and everything is different up here as far as uh, nature and wildlife and everything. Uh, below is a desert, so it's entirely different climate. Everything is different. Just for reference, what uh, is your elevation in that area, elevation above sea level? 
Yeah, we're right around seven to nine thousand feet. Wow, that's that's high. That's like the Grand Canyon is about that same elevation. Yeah, we're in California. We have skiing here and everything, so we're we're pretty high up as far as California goes. That is very cool. Um, so big uh, storytelling uh, about big topics. I would say these are my words. And nothing, sure, sure. Nothing. Yeah, we do all kinds of different topics. So people are interested in all kinds of different ones. Well, the the one thing that struck me immediately, uh, since the name of this podcast series includes the word taboo, um, I noticed Bigfoot. Now, Bigfoot uh, in the title, um, Aliens versus Bigfoot. That's one of your documentaries um, from Sky Island Storytelling. Uh, let's. <laughs> I, I'm afraid to ask the question because I don't know what the answer will be. Um, wh- why in the wide, wide world would you do a documentary about Bigfoot? So the movie you just mentioned is actually one of my favorites that we've done. Um, so uh, Bigfoot also, full, full uh, transparency, that is our most popular film. So... Uh, we just kind of lucked out with uh, doing that topic and stumbling upon something there. But Aliens versus Bigfoot isn't really about aliens or Bigfoot. It's actually about the people who are studying these things and why they do it, the similarities and the differences between the two of them. And uh, in that movie, I, I was able to interview all these different uh, experts and when I was doing the expert uh, interviews, uh, and I would ask the UFO expert guy about Bigfoot, they loved to tell me about that. It was really interesting as a filmmaker because uh, you could tell nobody asked them, and they had you know something to say. So it was interesting. Um, the The main reason we do those strange topics is, is two things. Uh, one, obviously, they are popular, and uh, those really make the most money for me as a filmmaker. They pay for a lot of my other films that don't do so well. So they will continue to be one of the films that we uh, pursue and and do uh, because they are profitable. Yeah. Uh, Another reason is I'm a nutcase and I'm interested in a lot of these weird things. (laughs) So uh, there's, there's twofold right there. When you, uh, when you think about Bigfoot, the, the entity, I'm trying to say this in a neutral way, sure. uh, Bigfoot, the entity, you know, when you think about Bigfoot, um, and then you think of the people that follow the Bigfoot phenomenon. Uh, as it turns out, I did another podcast in this series uh, featuring a person that I knew person I know personally. He was in Las Vegas, and he no longer is. He lives in Oregon now. But he was uh, someone who did a lot of uh, YouTube, a lot of meaning sequential years worth of content on YouTube about Bigfoot, and really not about Bigfoot, but about the people that follow Bigfoot. And, oh, interesting. Yeah, and his take was that they are, uh, I believe, the one word that he would use, and, and I want to separate your thinking from his. Well, his is very critical. His word, the one word to describe the followers of Bigfoot is broken. 
as in something is wrong with them um, in the emotional or, or mental sense. And that's his opinion. And that's I all. understand. Yeah. Fair enough. So what? One, what one could also say that maybe we are all broken in some way. Ah, uh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, what what did you find? If you could sort of give us a tease, what did you so, find? So I would say that um, yes, absolutely. When you when you talk about Bigfoot, it goes from the sublime to the ridiculous really quickly, and there are all kinds of outlandish theories that are hard to believe. Um, however, there are also really reasonable people who are into this and uh, very educated people who you would think, I mean, one of the ones I love to point out is Jane Goodall says, for sure, there's Bigfoot. And those are the kind of people that are like, okay, um, that has more meaning than, you know, Joe Blow that lives in a cabin in the woods and maybe doesn't talk to anybody, just telling me that uh, there's Bigfoot. When there are like, uh, there's a doctor that's real famous, he goes around and, and he has uh, all kinds of evidence that he uh, refers to in all the scientific ways about proof of uh, Bigfoot. So there's, there's a lot of great evidence. There's not definitive evidence where it's, you know, oh, okay, this is proof. Right, like like, like photographs and such. Right, yeah, and and there are certain things that are kind of red flags when you're doing this, where, you know, now that we have drones, now that we have all these different things, we should have more footage. We should have more evidence. And and some people say there is, and and some people say that. Uh, well, that you know, one of the other interesting things is they're their own worst enemy. These the Bigfoot people, because they all are debunking each other's footage and saying, this guy's fake and that guy's fake. So there's not a huge consensus on what's real and what's not real, even amongst the Bigfoot uh, enthusiasts. Yeah, I noticed that. So so that, that's a problem. Uh, but, you know, like there's historically, like uh, the Native Americans had all these different names for these creatures and it seems like it's rooted in truth with a lot of the history that there is out there. So I go back and forth myself. And, and, and there's also various different um, descriptions of these Bigfoot, quote-unquote, creatures. Uh, the, and they, they don't even, our movie is called Don't Call Me Bigfoot because a lot of them don't even like the name Bigfoot. They prefer Sasquatch or the, the like official term for whichever creature you're referring to, like Yeti or Skunk Ape, or there's different ones for different areas. And it wouldn't surprise me that somewhere in the world, one of these things turns out to be like an undiscovered primate. Yeah. That's what I think. Yeah. Some of these other people think that they're more human than primate. And then, of course, it goes even further than that. But... Um, uh, and, and in doing some of my research, I was blown away by how many things are discovered each year that I had, I had no idea that there are, like, thousands of new species discovered every year. And so uh, this, this possibility that, that there's something out there that we don't know about, I feel like that's still fairly reasonable. 
And so I, I leave the, the door open that, that maybe someday we have definitive evidence that one of these things is real. Yeah. Now, when you go into a project at the very, very beginning, um, you know, there's, uh, a, in the journalistic sense of uh, making a documentary, some people who produce, who write and produce documentaries start off with a particular viewpoint and they follow it all the way through and they just reinforce, not just, but they reinforce their own viewpoint. I'm thinking of um, Nancy Pelosi from California, uh, the Speaker of the House of Representatives in Washington, D.C., has an adult daughter. Um, I'm drawing a blank on her first name right now. But she produced a documentary about people in California, and it was uh, it was somewhat loving and then somewhat not. Um, but she started... <laughs> oh, I know. Alexandra is her name. Sure. Ale- Alexandra Pelosi, a documentary that she did about California and people in California. And one of the people was Jerry Brown. He had been governor of California for a very long time, multiple terms. And Jerry Brown just doesn't agree. To, hey, I'm going to do an interview today, and there we are. But he is obviously connected politically, same party as uh, Nancy Pelosi, and she is a very respected person in California and in the United States. So her daughter, oh, yes. her, her daughter was able to gain access, access rather, to Governor Brown, Jerry Brown, and his comments are there. Um, so that's one way the um, Alexandra Pelosi method, let's call it. <laughs> sure. She started off with a particular viewpoint and reinforces it throughout. Now, it seems to me, my opinion, that you do not start out with a particular viewpoint that you had even said open-minded as a phrase to describe yourself. How, how would you describe your approach to any, not just Bigfoot, but any subject that you do in your documentaries? So it, it would be a lie if I said I didn't have an opinion, a personal opinion, on uh, all of these different things. But uh, when I do these films, it is important to me to tell both stories because many times on subjects, I have m- more than one opinion. I may feel two contradicting ways, and I don't really know what to think. And... Um, I feel like that happens quite a bit on these uh, strange phenomenon topics and and other topics. Now, uh, there are certain films that I wouldn't say that um, I have an agenda, but I have had personal experience where I want to to kind of um, emphasize a certain perspective more so than another. And so, and then, of course, sometimes my interviewees are uh, entirely in control of, of the way that this is going to go, and they are far more willing to talk about certain perspectives versus others. And so I'll get um, films that, that seem a little heavy on one side versus another, but we do try really hard to include a full spectrum concept of both sides, all different sides, however many there may be, of all these different uh, topics. I get you. Well, one of the uh, titles um, 
of your you have multiple documentaries and you uh, let me let's clarify you release these on uh, imdb.com it says documentaries for Amazon Prime Video is Amazon Prime Video your primary platform or do you use others as well I'll have to look at that and maybe uh, contact IMDb and update it because they they were our our number one, but uh, right at the beginning when the pandemic was happening, Amazon had like four different policy changes for film uh, their independent film production, uh, and it has dr- dramatically changed. So now our our number one is actually owned by Fox, and it is a free streaming platform where they put commercials into the films and that one is called Tubi TV and so they pick up absolutely everything I made, even all my older titles they picked up and so pretty much everything I have is on there somewhere and then a handful of my stuff is on Amazon but not everything and uh, maybe some, they're, they're going back now and, and picking up uh, some uh, older titles from our... Dis- we use a distributor, so they go through and, and go to these distributors and pick the titles that they want. And uh, we have all kinds of different platforms that do that. Uh, CBS has a platform called Pluto TV that has uh, uh, our UFO project primarily. I think they might have a couple others. And there's just a, a handful of other, Roku, uh, even YouTube now has, we have them on uh, various channels on YouTube. Certain channels will, will kind of reach out to our distributors and pick them up, or our distributors have their own channel, or we also have uh, our own channels. And so there's, there's all kinds of different ways that uh, the distributors get them placed, and I try to promote the biggest ones on my website. So usually if there's one that's really big that I think is useful to kind of include a a link to, I add that link onto the page for that film on my website. And now is the time, drumroll please, to give your website for our listeners. Yeah, it's called theskyisland.com. Well, that is really easy. I so often meet people that have, uh, you know, incredibly long and somewhat complicated names for their websites, like every black elephant in India dot com. That one's probably not difficult to remember. But the important thing is people will remember yours because it's a very direct, easy to say, which means easy to remember. So I. I'm applauding, whatever that sounds like. I applaud you for that. Um, I noticed when looking over the list of the documentaries from you that they seem to suggest um, a general awareness about the importance of a person's consciousness and what they what they think, what they feel. Um, is yeah. am I out in left field, or is that is that part of what you are looking at? No, that is. Uh my agenda kind of shining through there on my films, definitely. I believe our entire lives are are dictated by our thoughts, basically. Yes, okay. And then you had a title, let me find, uh, Super Consciousness. Can you talk about what the the word means and what the documentary means? Sure. So so 
so that was an interesting one. It touches on a lot of concepts that I believe are are, are fundamentally true, and, and that many people, uh, even if you are skeptical about a lot of these kinds of things, if you listen to it and just think conceptually about some of these things, they are fundamentally true uh, statements. But that that is Dr. Tory. He he is the subject of a few of my films, and um, he is. Uh, a really interesting guy, and and so the superconscious to Dr. Tori is very similar to The Secret, and to, similar to a lot of other concepts out there, um, and and similar to to kind of something I believe. I don't know if I believe it kind of as directly as Dr. Tori, but I do believe it to be true that uh, your thoughts are very powerful in your life, and in. Uh, the movie, Dr. Tori explains how he has thoughts that are so powerful and he is so connected to the universe that by really, really feeling and, and wanting these thoughts, uh, wanting these things that, that they manifest in his life. So the, the most popular kind of concept that uh, you see is called The Secret. His book is called beyond the secret and it's about the superconscious okay a couple of other titles jump out at me um i want to believe which is that a reference back to the x-files it is yeah that is our ufo movie okay and uh it, it is it's like a couple years old now and it got really popular recently um so yeah i'm really pleased with how that that one turned out and, uh, yeah, as far as our strange phenomenon movies, I would say it's either that one or Aliens vs. Bigfoot that I think is our best work on that subject. Okay. Um, well, yeah. one of the other titles, uh, 2022, Why Do You Want to Believe? Is that also uh, an offshoot of um, the belief in UFOs and so forth? Yes. So that me and my partner kind of put that one together. It's not our best work, but it is... Um, uh, it's it's an interesting take on that whole subject again, and we were able to include some other people that weren't in the previous film, uh, Aliens versus Bigfoot. But we both just decided after the fact that we don't like the poster for Aliens versus Bigfoot, and we don't like the name that we went with with Aliens versus Bigfoot. It's not descriptive of what that movie really is about, and that movie hasn't done as well as it should have done. And so, ultimately, when the time comes, we're going to kind of redo that and everything, but for the time being, we wanted to put together a movie that uh, was similar concept, but had a much better poster and a much better name, and see if that uh, did better, and it did. Okay. So, yeah. So we know we kind of screwed up there. On the, the, well, and maybe the it's the name on the other one. maybe it's not a screw up so much as a you know a marketing lesson that you learned in the yeah. in, in, <laughs> yes, in real exactly. time. It was a double whammy where the, like the name kind of sounds like one of those like B monster movies, and then the poster also looks like that. Yes. So I think there might be a lot of confusion between the people wanting to watch that, and that's not beneficial for us. Well, so. like uh, the Godzilla versus. Uh, yes. Yeah, I forget the title. Sharknado versus. Oh no! Did they do that? Oh no! No no. Yeah, it's all it's all that kind of a title. Yeah. Know? 
Yeah. So it's, it's these like kind of B movie monster movies. Yeah. Well, that's why I <laughs> that's said not oh, what our movie is. no, 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 and that's why I said oh no, no, because anything that has the word Sharknado in the title to me yeah, is yeah. you know it's automatically a B movie, and it probably exactly. also is premiering this week on Sci Fi. Uh, which you know is there fine. You, you can escape to that, and um, and that's fine. But you know you're not going to find credible yeah. science necessarily on sci-fi at all. So. Exactly. And then fans of that type of a movie that click on my movie and then see this documentary, they're not going to be happy. They're going to be like, "This isn't what I wanted." Right. Yours, so. is, yours is too logical, too credible, too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we don't. Yeah, we exactly. have any, no need for logic and credibility. So I mean, that could be a butter of blood and like boobs. Yeah, like yeah. <laughs> you know, um, one of the one of the things that surfaced in when I talked to this uh, other person about Bigfoot, uh, the vi- the YouTube video creator, um, he said. His findings show that people, you know, I said the word broken, that was his word. He said that people who follow Bigfoot are largely conservatives, and they are the same. Here we're going to get political. Wah, 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 warning, warning. Um, that, that they are politically to the right and that they support the former president of the United States, Donald Trump, and, you know, vocally, vocally support Trump and Bigfoot. Now, you know, one or the other, I suppose, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it's like, okay, okay, but both of them, how do they fit together? So I don't know. Well, what what I could say in that regard is that people that um, like to go look for Bigfoot are, they like camping, they like hunting, they like... Uh, you know, the outdoors, like off-roading kind of thing. So these also kind of tend to be more uh, conservative uh, majority uh, in a lot of those things as well. But, I mean, it's, it's just general generality. It has nothing to do with the Bigfoot thing. And, and uh, you know, of course, there are many liberals or whatever you want to call them that, that uh, are also into the whole thing. Yeah, so, and and there's no political... I have never ever heard about Bigfoot no. having any. And, poli- you know, in, I want to say, in, the, in their defense, like I do, all kinds of different movies, right? And I do movies about really wonderful subject matters, really important things, and uh, nobody shows me more love than these like UFO and Bigfoot people. They are wonderful, wonderful people, <laughs> and like uh, I, it is. It is not because they owe it to me in any sort of way. Like, um, it is entirely genuine. They just uh, are really good people for the large, large majority. There's a lot of them that are strange, of course. Those, you know, <laughs> like, there's a lot of bad people that stick out in, in all these, you know, political or whatever types of uh, things it may be. But the large, large majority of these people are really wonderful people. And so I greatly, greatly appreciate them. Uh, and, and, you know, of course, some of them are lonely. Some of them have, uh, you know, troubled backgrounds and other things going on in their lives. But I think uh, that is common amongst people in general, especially American people. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, that was a very good answer, I must say. 
<laughs> I think you have your head screwed on correctly. Uh, Thank you. For, for thinking in that way. I wanted to uh, transition into the subject of, if I had a music keyboard, I would do a stab of dramatic music here, but I don't have it hooked up. So no stab of dramatic music, but just to mention one word, cannabis. Oh, yes. Yeah, that is probably my my number one expertise if we are talking about anything. Seriously, and here we are, 29 minutes, and I only now get to your largest area of expertise. Well, I'm, I am uh, I'm such a diverse subject matter. I'll be happy to come on anytime you like and talk about anything you like in more uh, uh, detail. No, but I want to talk, <laughs> I want to talk <laughs> about cannabis in particular because, let me be... You know, self-disclosing, I advocate the use of cannabis in um, Las Vegas. Well, I'm in Las Vegas. I and advocate the use of cannabis for medicinal outcomes anywhere where it is presently in the U.S. or in Canada. Uh, not a criminal thing. And many, all Wonderful. of all of Canada and X number of states. I don't know the number at this moment in the United States which have decriminalized. Cannabis use. I used to know, but it, it happens all the time. Yeah. So, I mean, gosh, I think we're close to like, it'd be easier to say, I think we might have like 12 that are not. Yeah. And they're easy yeah, to pick out. Sure they're easy to pick out. Like Idaho. Hello, Idaho. <laughs> uh, doesn't allow. So I wanted to ask you in that context, I have um, been, a, as I said, an advocate of the use of cannabis for medicinal purposes, which simply means to make oneself feel better because something is ailing you, such as there's many things, but, uh, you know, there's eye disease, there's uh, gastrointestinal intestinal disease. Oh, yeah. Some and, people say all uses are medicinal. Yeah. Now, you, you had a title about cannabis and cancer in 2019. What's the story with that? So uh, I became a filmmaker because I was in the cannabis industry uh, for many years, and I did all kinds of different things, and I was throwing these events, and I started documenting the events, and the events became a documentary that took many years to accomplish, and through that process, I became a filmmaker. And uh, before I was able to complete that documentary, I was given the opportunity to do three low-budget documentaries with my partner that I make all these films with now. And uh, he was open-minded enough to do cannabis ones. I said, you know, that was my expertise, you know, coming in. And I told him, listen, I've met these people that are these, like, Mother Teresa type figures that are that are just uh, really wonderful soldiers in in this war of uh, the illegality of cannabis as medicine, and I've seen them do all kinds of uh, you know uh, I guess like therapy or, or uh, just they would just give their medicine away yeah, yeah yeah and and do all this stuff that was just so genuinely wonderful. And uh, he was like, yeah, let's tell the story. And, and so I talked to these friends of mine, and I was able to find a, a, a doctor to kind of throw in there too. And we put together these three different films. Uh, one is called About Cannabis and Cancer. That's the most popular one. Then I also have one called Cannabis Versus Cancer. 
And in that film, the person actually gives his whole recipe of how to, to combat cancer with cannabis away in the film. So you just watch the film, he tells you exactly what he says to do, you just go out and start doing that, you know? Um, and then I had a, one that we kind of put together with our doctor, and it's called Cannabis and Your Doctor. And that's just like kind of like a 30-minute intro to the whole thing. Yeah. And uh, through the other two films, they have the, the healers, their stories, and then they I asked them to bring some of their success stories or some people that they had... Uh, you know, worked with that had interesting life stories. And so we were able to put those stories into the films and tell kind of the ups and downs of this uh, battle and using cannabis to combat cancer and some other things, too. Yes. Now, the one, the title, Cannabis and Your Doctor, um, in Las Vegas, I was able to locate a medical doctor and she she happens it's an interesting um demographic profile she is an african american woman um under age 50 she's from chicago and settled in um, las vegas ultimately uh, where she practices now her specialty in in her training was pediatrics you know the treatment of young uh, sure. per, young persons but she was very eye-opening and, and when I talked with her she she offers uh, you know it's a fee-based uh, consultancy in other words she answers questions people may have they come in and they say hey I have glaucoma or I have you know fill in the blank right can cannabis help me in helping solve pain or uh, you know those kinds of medicinal uses, not to have fun, not to get high, per se. Yeah. So I was very fortunate to find her in Las Vegas. When you you know, can you tell us a little about that doctor that you had, and was it dif oh. difficult finding that doctor willing to talk about cannabis? Usually, they're not willing. Doctors, MDs, yeah. are not. So. Let me kind of uh, educate you a little bit on California doctors with cannabis. So we have had a long medical, the medical cannabis um, program in California, over 20 years. And during that time, there is an explosion of medical cannabis doctors, quote unquote. So there's a wide variety of, of doctors that are doing this at the very, very beginning the type of doctor that would do this was uh, kind of an activist. You know, they were taking a big risk. They knew what they were doing. A lot of times they didn't have uh, the ability to, to do a normal practice for whatever reason, or it was some sort of alternate uh, type of, of uh, situation where they weren't, they weren't still a mainstream, typical doctor anyway, and so this was an opportunity for them to, to get a, a revenue source that wasn't open to them. And so that was part of the reason they were doing this. But then they also believed that this was real. Uh, and then in California, as we started having dispensaries where you could buy cannabis if you had a medical recommendation, you had all kinds of doctors that ranged from really wonderful, helpful people that wanted to do good things and, and get people medicine and, and the help that they needed to doctors that didn't maybe have, 
much qualification at all that just wanted to write recommendations as much as possible to make money. So your experience could vary dramatically from person to person, from doctor to doctor. There was a lot of these doctors. So when I am going to find my doctor, I wanted to have someone that was infallible, you know, like a solid, soft, a solid, solid doctor, somebody that was qualified beyond recognition. Yeah. So this person that I was able to find, uh, Dr. Yafai, she is a ER surgeon currently. So she is a doctor at Cedar sinai working in the emergency room right now. You know, so this is not a quack. you know this is not somebody that you would say is not qualified to speak about these sort of things yes and and thankfully dr yafai is outspoken about cannabis and has kind of a side practice where she recommends cannabis to to uh, people and and kind of handles this whole transition between uh their doctor and the idea of using cannabis because believe it or not even with this 20 something odd year head start that we have here in California, doctors basically know nothing about the use of cannabis, real doctors know nothing about using cannabis. They uh, do not advocate it almost ever, or if they do advocate it, they basically say you should use cannabis. Good luck. Right, right. Well, and, and the reason, the core reason is that it's a schedule one, it's listed on schedule one during uh, the 1970s, the DEA was created. Richard Nixon was president. And the DEA and Schedule 1 has um, drugs on that list, such as cannabis, but also LSD, heroin, and so forth. And so cannabis has a bad name, quote-unquote, at the federal level because dating back to the 1970s when the DEA was first uh this uh, Schedule One list is still in. You're absolutely right. Yeah, it's still in play, um, and, and so that's why they cannot prescribe cannabis. But so, for example, Doctor Yafai is doing a wonderful program. I actually need to to contact her to see when this is going on again. Uh, but she was doing a a program where doctors could get credits that were usable in their medical career by learning about the endocannabinoid system and learning about cannabis as medicine. And so she was kind of indoctrinating this into the mainstream uh, doctor world as uh, an extracurricular form of studying that they could participate in that was then also useful in their authentic career. Yes. Well, the doctor that I found in Las Vegas is Dr. Jones. Sounds like it's a made-up name. Uh, <laughs> sure. Yeah. But she is real. Um, she pointed out that when 30-something years ago, when she was first attending medical school, they never, as in never, underline that, discussed cannabis in the, in the context of medicine because it is Schedule 1, has been since the Nixon days, and there you go. So until, unless or until cannabis is removed from Schedule 1, it'll still have that taboo, there's the word, and the stigma, which is a whole separate thing. But uh, Yeah, it's really, it's really fascinating. And then the other side of that also is the government has a place in Mississippi where they grow cannabis 
for medicinal purposes. Right, and they're violating their own laws. To, to, so so interesting. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> Well, what do you, okay, so I already said I was an advocate. I am an advocate of cannabis for medicine. I um, like to encourage people who are age 50 and up who, you know, as you get older, sometimes people get more uh, ailments and some of them are um, treatable, sometimes not. But um, the people who are also, you know, who are 50 and up have lived, potentially have lived, back in the day, the pre-legalization days. So, like, I am someone who remembers Cheech and Chong in the 1960s, right? They were two comedians. Well, they're not comedians, but they were two guys from the counterculture in California. And they did, um, in those days, the product that they distributed was hilarity, hilarity, and they (laughs) they distributed it on... Uh, records, uh, discs, vinyl. Uh, nowadays, if you can believe this, Cheech Marin, I met him here in Las Vegas. He was here on a business tour uh, launching a new line of cannabis products, legal cannabis cannabis products that he's doing in California and Nevada is legal as well. But you have to have licensing in Nevada because it's a different state. But so I talked with him about, you know, you used to be the counterculture, I said to him, and he said, yes, that's true. And even he can't believe that now he's a businessman dealing in the cannabis industry. Also, his former partner, Tommy Chong, uh, was arrested and convicted. He did prison time in California for, or I'm not sure if it is California, but he did prison yeah, time. Yeah. Okay. He did, Tommy Chong did prison time for possession and maybe sales of cannabis. Now, Tommy Chong also has his own business and they're not together anymore as a, a comedy team. Or count- uh, Tommy Chong's thing was actually for paraphernalia. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. And that's not even, can't get high on paraphernalia. Uh, yeah. Interesting. So anyway, the, con- the counter the countercultural influences that I knew in the 60s today are at the core of business, such as Cheech Marin. Yeah. And it just blows my mind. It's sort of like, how could you ever have expected things to change so much since the '60s? And they yeah, and they uh, have it's a good thing and a bad thing from our eyes. Yes. Well, the bad thing is, in my opinion, and I'll ask you what you meant. But in my opinion, the bad thing is the uh, intensity of the strain or how strong the cannabis is today is far, far different. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're laughing. What is it that you would say is the bad thing? So, uh, so that is actually a myth. Uh, the the cannabis today isn't actually uh, that much stronger than the cannabis of the past. You may encounter certain uh, experiences, but probably what's different is you is is what's really different than uh, <laughs> the the past, and uh, that is what uh, one of many. Uh, myths that we have kind of learned about in, in the whole cannabis world. And, and there is also now, uh, there are, you know, strains that boast these kind of high uh, potency uh, numbers. But what we've kind of found out 
through cannabis is that there's far more to cannabis than, than the numbers and, and, and all of that. And it's really more of a, a thing called, they call it the entourage effect or yes, the yes. spectrum of cannabis. Yes. And that involves terpenes, that involves all these other chemicals, CBD, CBN, CBG, there's, there's many. And that whole thing is, uh, you know, not, not that well, not great. And so the large majority of it, I would say, is, is average. And I would say it would be on the level of anything from, you know, say the past 30 years or, or so. It, it's really not, uh, for the most part, that wonderful, super collector, high-grade cannabis that is hard to find, uh, that, uh, you know, it's hard to describe that that part of cannabis. But So I, I come from a, a place where I used to throw competitions, right? And so when you're doing a competition, you get all that cannabis. Usually people bring it to the competitions and they enter these kind of high-grade, really impressive uh, strains. So other than competitions, for me, I got kind of spoiled. And uh, it used to be that you would have to go on kind of missions and find these different strains and, and search out the places that had the best cannabis. And and uh, it, it was not easy to find. And, and so the the reason I had said what I said, though, about um, us, we, we cannabis users or the, the people from the pre-legalization days of cannabis are not stoked on the legalization days of cannabis is uh, because the the rules and the way that legalization has gone hasn't really been about not arresting people and then maybe freeing people from prison of, that are wrongfully in jail over cannabis. Uh, it is been entirely focused on the profiting and uh, money-making aspects of, of the cannabis industry. Yes, exactly. And, and it's extremely disappointing. Um, and as uh, the laws have moved forward, they've been so restrictive towards people uh, that were, I mean, at first you couldn't participate if you had a felony. And there were just so many different rules that held people back. And, and financially, the the bar was so high, it, most people that were farmers couldn't reach it. They were just living paycheck to paycheck, essentially, even though they were still growing cannabis. So they didn't have these huge fortunes to invest into these companies. And, and investors learned real quickly that they just didn't really need the cannabis industry at all. And they really haven't included us. Well, they thought that. And they really haven't included the real growers and, and all those people. So the large majority of the people that I know, and I, and I know Tommy, and uh, there's so many people that I know that are not participating. And those are all the real people, the people that smoke, that like use them medicinally, that are just, you know, multiple generations of their family growers, all this kind of stuff. I'd say 95% maybe of them have not participated or attempted to participate and through some sort of a, a hurdle were not able to continue participating. And the 5% that I know that participate think it's great. 
but they love this world. They think it's amazing. They walk around just like you said. They can't believe that they're going to business meetings about cannabis, and that like their whole world is now very much corporatized. Yes, and yes. It's like a real business now, <laughs> where and people respect them in the business world like it's a real business. And there's all kinds of these, you know, from the the business standpoint, really optimistic people that are looking into it as like, oh, this is a wonderful thing, legal cannabis, this is great. From my perspective, um, I miss the the days of even just medical cannabis, where it was much more uh, free, and so many more people were able to participate. Of course, there are many drawbacks, and it, you know people could easily rain on that concept and, and there's many reasons why it's good that it's not that way anymore yeah. but uh it's hard for me to to look, overlook all the the large majority of my friends and, and myself even that is not participating really yeah in- well let me suggest to you i know you're in california i'm a native of california i was born there so I understand. Um, I could not live in California any longer uh, because I believe there's overtaxing of just about every level. Gasoline, please, you know, and then other things. <laughs> so Nevada, you know, I just um, I enjoy hot weather. I enjoy dry weather. So the Mojave Desert is a wonderful place if you like hot weather and dry weather. So Nevada as a state in the sense of cannabis came later, later than Colorado, later than California. And, you know, you have to say, objectively, Nevada people who put the laws together did a really good job. They were very diligent in putting laws together that learned from what other states were doing, doing correctly, doing incorrectly. So Nevada Nevada has a very gold standard, if you will, in terms of cannabis legalization. Yeah, in many ways it's better. All the big trade shows are in uh, Las Vegas twice a year. I go to Las Vegas for maybe four times a year, actually. I go to Las Vegas for cannabis uh, trade shows. Yes. And uh, it's great in many ways, but it is also very corporate cannabis in a lot of ways. Yeah, well, and and now the latest, I was going to suggest for you a topic, a documentary topic, and that is, you know, what happens when big business and cannabis intersect. And I don't mean a big business like a record company or a, yeah. a television network or a movie company. I'm talking about casino and hotel company. Oh, yeah, it's coming. Got a lot of those. All right. And so in Las Ve- in Nevada, not just Vegas, um, there's a push to have, they call it, it's a horrible name, consumption lounges. Like, where are you going? Correct. I'm, I'm yeah. going to a consumption lounge. Well, have a nice trip. So you guys actually have had one before. Well, I, there I, is I, one, I, there is one in Las Vegas. It's an Indian, a native, uh, indigenous peoples, a tribe, let me try this again, a tribe of indigenous people. And I forget the name of the tribe. I'd love to give credit, but New Wu, N-U-W-U, they are able because they are a sovereign nation within Clark County, Nevada, within uh, either they're on the edge of the city of Las Vegas, the edge of the city of North Las Vegas. And they have been able to do a consumption of cannabis on the premises since 2020, which, you know, is a very different thing than the rest of uh, 
yeah. Las Vegas. But now, here we are, 2022, they're trying to change the laws to allow these consumption lounges to be located throughout the Las Vegas Valley. And right. why why Las Vegas is important is because of the the amount of money. It all comes down to how much oh, yeah. how much money does can be made in Las Vegas. So they're trying to work out a way to allow big casino companies, Caesars, for instance, yeah. and other, yeah. you know, famous names, which right now they cannot. You can't right. you can't right. you cannot so- in our world, uh, I have seen something. I don't know what it is for sure, but there is the first cannabis hotel, I believe is what it's called. Yeah. Uh, that is coming it's to coming. Las Vegas. Yeah. And it's opening soon. And then in the early 2000s, I went to a cannabis lounge in Las Vegas directly across the street from the stratosphere. It was called the Bluebird. And it uh, did not sell cannabis, but you could bring cannabis in there. And they had like a coffee shop and a juice bar and a whole thing like that. Yeah. And you could smoke in there. Yeah. And uh, so I have some photos from me back in the early days there, and like looking out the window at the stratosphere in the window. Yeah. But uh, it has been a, a rough road for Las Vegas cannabis. And, and right now, you're right. It's one of the better places where they've kind of implemented it really well in the city. So, uh, like, the taxis all have ads for oh yeah for yeah this place like it's very it's very tourist friendly like a tourist could come to Las Vegas they have a pretty easy access to going to the canvas places they're big they're able to handle lots of, of people they have they have some pretty decent cannabis in a lot of the the places and uh, yeah it's it's kind of a tourist friendly place for cannabis it's still nothing in in my opinion Amsterdam still like shits all over anywhere yeah well and Uh, not with the quality of their product but the the quality of how it is incorporated into the culture yes and their culture the city of amsterdam in the netherlands is hundreds of years old las vegas is only a hundred or so years old so much to learn here but in in the sense of what you could do a documentary on this is the beginning of the, yeah sure the beginning of the creation of the amsterdam of north america and you know it's kind of a pompous title where are you going i'm going to the, <laughs> the <laughs> it Am- is that kind of concept and, and so theoretically they could do something like that we'll see if they do yeah and that would be a wonderful kind of idea the, one of the things i love about uh, Amsterdam is, is being able to like walk from coffee shop to coffee shop and, and have this whole other uh, like smoke joints in the street and, yeah. and feel free to, that we don't really feel here. Yes. And if the casinos allowed it, there could be something similar to something like that. Yeah. Where, you know, you could go from maybe casino to casino, like, uh, like how the, the, what is it, the Excalibur and Mandalay Bay? And they're yeah, they're a lot connected, yes. You could walk yeah. kind of theoretically from place to place, and maybe there's some different cannabis shops. Yeah, well, the, 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 way, the way to think about it is Nevada state law allows, or it may be a city thing or Clark County thing, where you can carry liquor out 
side of a, a building, whereas California, you cannot. If you bring a beer or a Jack Daniels out into the street with you, you're going to get stopped by law enforcement. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. not so in Las Vegas. So this is why we have a lot of people, a high percentage. I don't mean high in the uh, hallucinogen sense, but high, sure, sure. <laughs> high st- statistical number of people who come from Southern California because all you have to do is drive. I mean, it can be a a hell of a drive if the traffic is bad. And usually nine times out of 10, the traffic is bad and you get stuck in hours and hours of traffic. But once you're here, you can walk down the strip, Las Vegas Boulevard, and you will, your nose will recognize the scent of cannabis in the air. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, when we were doing the, the trade shows originally, uh, it was illegal. There was no medical cannabis. There was no recreational cannabis in Las Vegas. And you'd be amazed at the stuff that we could get away with then. Yeah. Like cannabis banners all over the hotel on the outside, facing yeah. the street. Everyone at the hotel smoking in all the rooms and everything. It was amazing. Yes. And to see where it is now, I'm I'm both surprised and I'm not surprised. Where I'm like, oh, you know, we could kind of see this coming. Uh, it's a little shocking how quickly it came and how quickly the city just kind of welcomed it in. But then again, once Colorado showed the money that could be made, it was kind of horrifying to me how, how quickly everyone was like, oh, yeah, cannabis, For sure, bring yeah. it on in. Yeah. Oh, it, it helps people with cancer? We don't care. We don't care about <laughs> all they want, all they want oh, is... it helps people with medical illnesses? We don't care. Yeah. But, oh, it makes money. Yes. Bring it on in. Yes. Bring it on in. Taxes, taxes, taxes. That's the word, yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's what's happening. Las Vegas and all of southern Nevada is a very relatively small, I don't know, two and a half million people, and then all the yeah, tourists. Yeah, so it's That's easy. the big thing with California. We're yeah. the fifth largest economy in the world. Right, and it's yeah. difficult in California to govern because of you know tens of millions of people. Nevada is much simpler, and that's yeah. how they get away with... Uh, compared to California, with these somewhat far-reaching laws that allow things. And that's why California, California won't be the Amsterdam of North America. No, no. no. I, would, I mean, Venice could... There's certain places that could do something real cool, but I don't know if it'll ever happen. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of red tape, and uh, well, that's it. so many people that don't like us. Like, we all... We forget how small of a community we really are yes yes so yeah jeremy you are a joy to talk to um (laughs) and and i must say you and i never met out in the real world Uh, i am happy that i learned about you you know what caught my eye was there's a photograph of you with uh, director Kevin Smith. Uh, do you remember the photograph I'm talking about? Yes. Now yes. what what's James the story? Bob. All right. What's the story with that photograph? When was that? So, so that was in Las Vegas at a cannabis convention. And one of my friends is the photographer for the convention, like the the main guy. And so I was walking and he like waved me down, and uh, and so I I went over to him. I used to be kind of a personality in the cannabis industry, so I should say that too. And uh, my movie it's called The Secret Cup. You can learn a lot more about me and my role in the cannabis industry because I'm a major character in that movie. Okay. So so 
so there's that. So that's why he knew me. And so he waves me down and he says, hey, I'm shooting all these pictures with Jay and Silent Bob. Do you want a picture with them? And I said, yeah, of course. That's They're one of my favorite characters from the cannabis industry. And at these trade shows, uh, you know, Tommy Chong will be paid to be at a booth, Cheech and him maybe together, or maybe they'll be each at different booths, Mike Tyson, all kinds of, you know, Jim Belushi, whoever the celebrity is that is now attached to cannabis, it's very likely that you will see them at these cannabis trade shows being a, a paid entertainer at one of these booths. So that's what was happening here. And uh, he there's this huge line of people that are waiting or paying to get pictures with them or something. And so he weighs me ahead of all of them. And uh, Kevin Smith and, and I forget the other actor that played Jay. I forget his name and I feel really bad. Um, but uh, they were they recognized that I was getting kind of waved in and they were like really, really nice to me and like uh, kind of asked me about who I was. And they were like, oh, they were kind of stoked on doing it too. So it was, it was, it was nice to have that like little moment. And, um, you know, it, like a lot of people think that we're buddies and whatnot. It is not that situation. Yeah. In sort of way. They probably don't even remember. Yeah. And they but, beat, and uh, they beat you up afterwards. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know, but, but it was a wonderful moment. So. Yeah. Well, and that photograph lives forever. That one wonderful moment lives forever. You and yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that is that's the the power of you know if it if it if you don't have a picture of it, it never happened. And, exactly. You know, that's, yeah. That's the world we live in. Jeremy, one more time, give the the uh, name of your website so people can find more it about you. Theskyisland.com. Excellent. And I want to thank you again for talking with us for Taboo Truths and Tales. A very enjoyable hour here with you today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Find out more about this topic. Go online to the website, tabootruthsandtales.com. That's tabootruthsandtales.com. Taboo Truths and Tales is hosted by Madeira D'Souza. That's me. Thank you. 